Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. What's going on? Oh, it's Chrissy. Uh, found her cutting up her clothes. Next thing she's cutting up her hair. Well, we had to forcibly restrain her. Don't give us that, Smith. You two, no television for two nights. The governor wants to see you. I don't care what the rest of you bitches do in this funny farm. I just want my own space. Get it! Because you haven't got what it takes! You haven't heard the end of this! Well, I hope for your sake I have. Kerry Tucker is a university lecturer, academic, writer and a corporate speaker. Kerry advises on Foxtel's Wentworth, the brilliant reworking of the classic women's prison drama, Prisoner. It's based on her own experience as an inmate in the Dame Phyllis Frost Maximum Security Prison in Melbourne. Let's go back though. Can we can we start sort of at the beginning? Let's go back to um, the early two thousands in your life. So you were at that stage um, a working mum. So I was just um, a normal mum of two young daughters. Um, very uh, at the time, it's such a long time ago now. I was very desperately unhappy. I also um, had no idea that I had was suffering from dissociative identity disorder which is a previously named uh, multiple personality disorder. Really? Um, I had no idea of that. I guess that's the general point of it. <laughs> so yeah. um, on the scale, when I, my forensic psychiatrist, when I went to prison, on the scale I was uh, 7 out of 10. So I was sort of just stopping short of, of naming the other personalities and having them dress in different clothes. Um, well, this is, okay, now I had no idea about this. So this is a whole other issue. Um, hmm. So you... you I would say a lot of people find themselves in prison with mental illness. Absolutely. Um, and probably a lot of them, it's the first they've known yep. of it. So looking back now, how was that actually working in your life before your arrest? How, how was your dissociative, is that well, what's called? Dissociative dis- Identity yeah. Disorder. Yes. Uh, I actually couldn't tell you how it was working because I, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. What I was aware of was people saying to me, which carry is this today? You know, what What was that for? Why did you say that? You're so different today. Um, I would wow. remember, you know, driving from Hillsville to Ringwood, which is, say, a 45-minute drive, and I'd be filling up with petrol, and then all of a sudden I'd stand there and think, how did I get here? You know, I didn't remember the drive as such. So there were little cracks that I could relate to. Yeah. Um, I initially thought my forensic psychiatrist, who was such a lovely, lovely man, um, was saying this just because he liked me and wanted <laughs> wanted me to, to get a better sentence. And when I told this to him, he said, no, you, you really are crazy. <laughs> wow. So, um, but I didn't know this, but everybody around me sort of did. They weren't surprised at all that, you know, I was diagnosed with this. I've done a little bit of reading about it in the past. And isn't it generally to do with pretty extreme childhood trauma? Yes, yeah. Um, and from what I was advised, it's certainly from, from traumatic experiences where mm. your personality splits. Um, mine split into stages rather than personalities as such. I was sort of just nudging that. So I had different 
personality types that would rear up in different circumstances, um, self-destructive, rescuer, that sort of stuff. So, um, And that became very evident in prison as well. In fact, it probably helped me. Yeah. So yeah. you hadn't named the personalities at that stage? No, no. Do you remember what the trauma was that's, that split your personality? Not overly, no. no. Wow. No. Do you want to? Is that part uh, of no. your... I have no desire to yeah. to delve into that. I think some things can often be left mm. um, left, you know, in the background. I don't see why we have to relive it to be able to come to terms with it because in my mind if I don't know about it, then I've got nothing to grapple with. The other thing is, you know, memory can be a really difficult thing. So, you know, unless I know that it happened, I might convince myself that something else happened. So I, I, I really don't know and I'm I'm way past worrying about that. Yeah, there's a lot of writing about that, isn't mm, there? That, that there certainly is. The sort of lost memories that are retrieved sometimes weren't memories at all. Exactly. And that's, I've seen that in prison. It's a very, very easy thing to get into. And I, you know, it's somewhere I don't want to get into. My life is very factual. It's very open. So I don't want to bring in anything that I'm certainly not sure of mm. um, or that may appear made up, you mm. know, because I can't dispute it. I have no memory of it. Um, so, and that's for quite a long period of time. But interestingly enough, after spending two years in a maximum security prison, the forensic psychiatrist came out to assess me just before my trial. And I didn't score on the disassociative identity, you know, scale at all. So it took going into a maximum security prison and having the role that I had to be able to heal, to start to heal myself. So before all of that, you were, um, working at the sawmill? Yeah, well, for friends in in the um, office. Right. And that is where you were siphoning cash from? Yep, yep absolutely. Yeah. Um, how much was it? Well, it was, I went to prison for $1.9 million. That's, you wow. know, yeah, that, that's um, in my mind disputable, but okay. um, uh, there was never a forensic accountant involved you know, with, um, with working it out, but, but, but that's what it is. So yeah. you can't cry over spilt milk. No. Um, and so did you, did you plan to start stealing from the people no. you're working for who are also friends no. of yours? No, I didn't. Absolutely not. It was, um, it, it became a, a force of habit, I guess. It made, it made a very desperate, unhappy situation a lot easier. And when you're, when you're in a desperate situation, it's really, really easy. It's not a big step to make desperate decisions and really bad decisions. And then you just, you know, if you're used to living in a hostile environment, it's very easy to justify it in your mind because mm-hmm. um, that's what you want to do. You don't want to feel bad about what you're doing, so you justify it. Yeah. And that's why it becomes it becomes a habit. So was it the hostile environment, was, was that your marriage? Were you in a bad marriage? Uh, well, it was an unhappy marriage. Yeah, yeah. okay. So you're unhappy and... To make yourself happy, you were finding little bits of extra money to, to send across into your account. Yep. And anything that would, would make everything okay. Mm-hmm. So there was no no hiccups along the way. So no bills, no financial problems, things like that. I can sort of understand how that would work. So, um, you know, a couple of days ago we realised our shower was leaking, you know. So then all of a <laughs> sudden you've got this big expense you weren't planning. And I can understand how you might sort of think, Oh, if I, I could just nip that across yeah. there and with always with the intention of to paying it yeah, back. absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's never an intention to hurt. You know, normal people don't just wake up and decide today I'm gonna to go and you know, commit crime. Yeah. Today I'm gonna to take advantage of, of friends or, or of a bank account or, or whatnot, or I'm gonna I might just go and rob a bank because I need to do this. It's a slippery slide. It's it's something that you find yourself in and then you start looking for ways out of it. Mm. And if opportunities arise in the way that you are and the way you're thinking, mm. um, these, this is where it's very easy to make uh, really bad, bad uh, decisions. So you slide a little bit of money across with the intention of paying it back, but then no one notices. The, the business is still going great guns. It's nothing to them compared mm. to what's coming in and going out. So then something else pops up and you think, just one more time. I'll just slide a bit across. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that keeps going and going and going. And that's a normal, you know, with, you know, I do a lot of of speaking about around white collar crime and that's a normal Mm. way of thinking. It's a normal way. Um, And while you're in control of that, you have that, you know, that mindset that, you know, well, it's okay. Sooner or later, something's going to happen where I'll be able to fix this. Yep. Yeah. But what did happen in the end? How did it, what stopped it? The company went broke. <laughs> right. So, yeah, the company went broke and the police were brought in. Um, I was aware 
that the police were involved. And um, it was literally only about four weeks later that um, I was at the gym and they came and arrested me. The gym. Yeah, it was lovely. So they arrested you straight away. They didn't question you first. No. They... um, they were very, very hostile. Um, and, and look, I don't blame them. That's their job. I have no, no problems with the police in that sense. But they walked in, guns drawn. This is factual, in a gym at six in the morning. Wow. And, um, and, and you're from, not accused of a violent crime. No. And from that moment on, wow. I wasn't allowed to contact anyone. They took my mobile phone off me. I was taken back straight back to the station. Uh, I was kept there for an hour. And then I was taken back out to Hillsville where there was a truck waiting out the front of the house. Um, there were about, I would say, 15 policemen there from different parts of the force um, and they just gutted the house of furniture and, and the kids' Christmas, everything, everything. And then they took me back to the station and I was there for about nine hours, I guess, um, being interviewed and um, and we went from there. So are they sort of cataloguing all your possessions? Yes, to, yep, absolutely. To sell them or like um, what's the... At restitution, you know. Yeah. I hadn't been charged at this stage. I hadn't even been interviewed. So they were very... I'd been under surveillance, you know, apparently right. for uh, you know for four weeks, which was just a waste. You know, I wasn't going anywhere. I was very aware that the police were doing their investigation. The gig was up. Mm. You know, I wasn't about to run anywhere and, mm. you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was I was arrested, you know, and put on daily reporting. They were very... I was a master criminal. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at home, you know, you were you were mum to two yes. young girls. Yeah. When did they find out that this was happening? What at what time during that first day? Uh, I actually said because they'd taken my phone off me. They, I, I actually said to them, you know, I need to ring my ex-husband. My children are, are at, um, you know, the childcare centre, and and one I think was in in grade one. They need to be picked up. And and surprisingly, I was told that, you know, unless I confessed, they would have two uniformed policemen go up to the childcare centre in the school and put the children in foster care. Um, I had no idea that you couldn't do that. Mm. Um, so I absolutely confessed. I was going to anyway, you know. It was quite obvious I wasn't, you know. I made them all coffee while they are at my house because it was very uncomfortable, mm. you know, Um and, and it was what it was. So uh, then my ex-husband was, was advised and he was able to go and collect the children. So it started really from that point. My God. Uh, and how did they, how were they in those early days? When did you, because they're, oh, they're very young. When did yeah, they? They were um, five and seven, I think. When five did, and a half and When were they told what was going on with you? Um, their father pretty much did most of that. Um, I, I, I skirted around the issue. It's really difficult, regardless of, you know, the fact that you've committed crime. It is really difficult looking into the eyes of your, your, your baby daughters and saying, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going away. Yeah. I'm leaving you. You know, it's, it's probably the hardest thing any mother could do under any circumstances. And that is really um, big in that first series of Wentworth. Oh, it's, it's huge. And this the is, character of B trying yes. to get in touch yep. with her child and... Yep the blocks that are put in her way yeah. and it's it's heartbreaking to watch. And and that, you know, in, in Wentworth, what, what B goes through was based on what my, all my diaries. Everything that I, I diarised, I've got over a million words of when I was in prison. So the first series is where B, what we really wanted to establish was the, the, the story behind the women. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, where these women come from. Just about every woman in prison was a victim of a crime before they became a perpetrator of a crime. That's not an excuse. It's a fact. And the women in prison don't go, well, that's what happened, you know. They just get on with it, you know. Most of them are domestic violence, you know, um, uh, victims. So they're used to accepting blame. They're used to just getting on with it, you know. So this is what women do. They're very tough and you become quite tough in there. So trying to contact your children and have um, a relationship with them when you're in prison is really, really difficult. And I go to great pains to say, it's not us women as criminals saying, you know, well, they're my children. What we're actually saying is it's the children's right to see their mother. You know, yeah. it's so, so, so important. Yeah. Even in that environment. Absolutely. The environment is really, really friendly. You know, there's a visit centre with toys. It's very upbeat. 
The prison recognises, and I was there uh, under gen, uh, the general manager, Brendan Money, who's one of the most fabulous men that you know I ever had the, the privilege of being a prisoner with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but he understood all of that. He understood that the children needed their mothers. It's a very, very safe environment. I had to convince my ex-husband first. He'd, we'd never been involved with prisons before. Yeah. So I'd take some convincing if someone oh, asked absolutely. me to take my kids into a prison. He yeah. was he was very apprehensive. He, you know, um, we fought on and off about it as as you know. And then you know, at one point, you know, he um he decided that it was was too unsafe. And I said to him, you know, this is in a visit centre and whatnot. He thought that, you know, the kids would come in and they'd wander the, you know, the compound and have barbecues with the armed robbers and things like that. And it was, you know, I said to him, you know, we don't have, we don't have barbecues with armed robbers because they always knock off the meat. It's just that simple. <laughs> so <laughs> They never take the salads. It's always the meat. So, you know, there was never any fear of that. <laughs> but, you know, there were some really good programs in prison where, you know, the staff would come in, they get very involved with the children, they take photos, there's games. It's a very bright area yeah. for mum and the kids, very safe. Um, and the kids get used to it. My kids, you know, they 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 had to. They got used to the officers. They got, you know, they got to know. The only thing that was a, was a bit of a concern was when they bring the dogs in. Mm. Um, that's very, very scary. And that was what prompted me to write the children's book, you know, yeah. so that so that when somebody on the outside, like my ex-husband, is looking at having to go into a prison. He can sit down. It's a colouring book. He can sit down and read it with them and take them through the steps. And, and it has helped a lot of women to be able to see their children. Forget about the women in this sense. It's the children yeah. that need to know that they haven't been deserted. Yeah. You know, we'll put up with what we have to. We'll get on with it. But, you know, our children are the innocent victims as well. Mm. Um, what do you remember of the first day that you arrived in prison? <laughs> I, <laughs> the prison was full. So I was taken to the Moorabbin Police Holding Cells, which is probably um, the equivalent of Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> yeah, right. In the sense that, you know, it's sort of, I, I, I can't remember the outside of it at all, but I do remember that the lights were left on all the time. So after a while, I couldn't work out whether it was day daylight or dark. Mm. I didn't know what time it was, what day it was. We were there for nearly a month. Um, and wow. in the morning, they just get up and, ho- it was it was May, so it was freezing. And... Um, it was concrete. We couldn't have shoes. Um, they they would literally um, get a fire hose and just wash it out each morning. Wow. It was really really bad, but it toughened me up, ready for yeah, right. for the big girl school. Um, <laughs> and I was in there with girls that had you know that had been to prison many many times. So I got to know them very very well. And in fact, helped them. My very first letter I did for them was was in the cells. Um, with a little piece of paper on some toilet paper and got it out. <laughs> you so, wrote a letter for somebody for the girls that were already in there wow. because they were being, you know, they were being treated really, really badly. Now I, I get it's a dreadfully, dreadfully hard job for the for the officers. I really do. It's not nice, but you know the women aren't doing it very well either. You know, mm. so and to lock them down even further as a discipline was just stupid, just ridiculous. Mm. You know, we had pregnant women in there and and it was just unsafe. So. You know, um, yeah, I, I, that was the first time I represented the girls in getting um, somebody out. I can't remember what she was, the the people that look after prison, um, after the police cells anyway. Yeah. I can't remember who she, what, her, what her name was. But, um, yeah, so she came out and, and interviewed the girls and they felt heard. After that, the girls were fine. Mm. It's just a matter of being heard, mm. you know. So, um, so after that, I, I was then transferred out to the prison. And I can assure you the prison is much better in facilities as such because you actually got a blanket. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and and you uh, went straight to the, what is it? The Dame Phyllis. Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. That's Victoria's maximum security prison. Yes. It replaced Fairley. Oh, yep. Yep. Fairley Women's Prison. Yep. I remember that. Yes. Um, so um, the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, uh, it, when I was there, it housed around about 200. They've now built more cells. Um, so it houses around about 300, 320 now. Mm. Um, and everyone goes there. It's not like the men's prisons where they have remand and um, high security, minimum security and, and maximum security. We just have the one. So okay. everyone's in together. You yeah. know? Um, that can be quite daughty, you know, for, I bet. Particularly, particularly for young, for young people. Um, I, you know, I guess it was, um, Arriving there and and when I arrived, 
I actually, it was late and the, the prison was locked down. I didn't realise how it worked. They'd, someone had lost some keys or something. So I was walked up to a unit where um, I was to spend the first night because that was the room that was available. When I got up next morning, I realised it very quickly that it was the unit for the criminally insane. Wow. <laughs> and I, I didn't know whether I was there because I was insane or whether I was there because there was a mistake or whether I was there um, waiting to go somewhere else. I had no idea. And I guess part of it is that they're low on info. They don't tell you much, right? And, and it was late. It yeah. was very, very late, yeah. So um, I had no idea. I, I just remembered thinking. So how did you figure it out when you woke up? Was it was it the sounds of the place? Yep, that... and the women and their behaviour. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. You were allowed so, out to socialise with the yeah. other women there? One of the most frightening things is getting there really, really late at night and then the okay. next morning they open up the door, that's it, you're out. You, wow. You're out. And so I was in the in the unit with, you know, at that time it was basically for the criminally insane. Um and, and, you know, it was, it was quite an eye-opener. <laughs> then uh, I spent about three days there before a bed became available in the remand unit. The remand unit within the prison is a prison within a prison. It holds 52 women. There's 26 on either side. It's like walking through a Bosnian minefield and just hoping something doesn't blow up. Mm. It's the most hostile part because everyone that arrives there generally goes there first mm. and they're put under observation before they're put out onto the main compound. So everyone's tense, nervous. Withdrawing. Withdrawing, of course. Yep. Withdrawing from, from drugs. Yep. Um, and I suppose, do people really, we sort of joke about it, do people really go to prison with a sort of a strategy as to, like, do you pump yourself up, up a bit to try and appear scary because you're scared? Not you um, personally, but do I people think, do that? I, I think... Initially, no. Right. When you've when you've been there a few times, yeah, you've you've got a bit of a everyone remembers you over over yeah. you know, over time. But when you first arrive there, no, it is you're literally making sure that you don't upset somebody that you watch. Mm. You know what's what's going on. I've spent a long time working out the dynamics. You know what was uh, who who I had to watch out for, um, what was happening. Most of the time there, the women were withdrawing, and there's not a lot of help for them. You know, yeah. it's a really, really horrible thing to see. Um, and when someone can't look after themselves, yeah. it's almost impossible to walk past them and just say, no. So these were women that are coming in at about 48 kilos, you know, and, and desperately, desperately ill. But that's, that's, that's no concern really of the prison. They have to be completely and utterly, you know, uh, ready for hospital before anything will be done. They're left to withdraw themselves. Um, and oh. that's... So the girls have a camaraderie where they look after each other and make sure that, you know, they've got... I think the, the, I, I was amazed. I, I was thinking to myself, I remember going up and having to steal some cordial so that this girl could get some sugar into her. And I was so proud of myself that I was, managed to go into the kitchen of a maximum security prison and steal this inch of cordial and whatnot. And I was walking away thinking, wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm in here for $1.9 million and I couldn't feel more proud at the moment. <laughs> Taking, scampering back with the cordial to give this girl, you know. How many women do you think who went to prison have a drug addiction? Oh, 70% at any time, mm. you know. And and I had, had not come from, it was the best drug education I ever had. Yeah. You know, I had never had any drug issues and whatnot. So... Um, seeing the girls and hearing their stories, you know, most of them, their, 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 their primary school age was, was working on the streets and being raped every other day, you know, um, sexual abuse. It's just, just insane, you know, and behind these women are really, really lovely girls. And this was what I had the privilege of some of them, some of them, some of them are bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Some of them just, just should be there and stay there. Um, but that's not by, by far and above, that's not the, the majority of women there. And that was, again, what we tried to do in, in Wentworth, the first season, you know, was to show that these women aren't, you know, the prison isn't just about these animals locked away that have got no social skills. Because what that does is then causes a community to think, well, they're right where they should be, yep. you know. And that's just silly because every woman gets out. And in my mind, if I'm getting out and I'm going to live next door to you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you hope that while I was in prison, we did everything we could to make me a better person? Yeah, definitely. It's just so simple in my mind. Mm. And seeing it from the inside as I have and seeing it from the, you know, the outside as well, it makes even more sense that you invest instead of, you know, uh, it's not sexy for, for politicians to say, I'm going to put money in prisons, you mm-hmm. know, it's, which is just silly.
Absolutely silly. Speaking of sexy, by the way, both Wentworth and Orange is the New Black yep. portray a lot of sex yes. in the prison. Yep. Is that yep. true? Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, um, there, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, um, relationships as far as sex goes in, in prison. Gay for the stay. Yeah. I've yeah. heard about that one. That's where you're not gay, gay on the yep. outside, but yep. inside, sure. The other one for gay for the stay or gate gays. Gate gays. <laughs> so what happens is that once you arrive at the prison, you all of a sudden become gay. Right. Yeah. And when you leave, you go back to your boyfriend. Yep. Um, there are a lot of women in there that had relationships with, with other women. Um, and I used to sit and talk to them and say, you know, you've got a boyfriend and whatnot. But they wanted, uh, it wasn't about the sex. It was about having a loving relationship. Mm. It was about that sort of stuff. So I would say half of it was, was about just having a nurturing relationship with somebody. The other half of it was just rampant sex. But you get that anywhere. You know, it's yep. it's just the average stay is probably around three years, you know. Women wow. are women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, humans are humans. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly right. So, What happens when the prison realises there's a relationship going on? Do they well, – is they it allowed or – Well, when, when I was there, they just sort of tended to turn a blind eye, you know. There was no – it wasn't openly, you know, girls yeah. would walk around maybe hand in hand, but you wouldn't see them having sex in the middle of the compound, mm. <laughs> you know. So if they were caught and it was somewhere public. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, they'd yeah. be given a stern, stern talking to, but other than that, you know, I think the officers there. You know, some of them, I only had an issue with one or two officers, you know. Yeah. Um, the rest of them I thought were fabulous, you know, um, the way they dealt with women. They're different in the sense that, you know, they have a six-week training course. So um, they related to a lot of the women. They would turn a blind eye to that sort of stuff anyway, you know, which is because it's just a natural thing. Mm. Then there are other women in there, you know, um, that are just like myself that was heterosexual and, and there's women in there that are there for 15 years that wouldn't even think of it, yeah. you know. So, um it's just a, a, a an amazing dynamic in there. It's a fascinating, fascinating place. Yeah. In the series Wentworth, one of those early moments that B really thinks, where the hell am I, mm, mm. is when she swings around her doorway and that stunning girl who plays Frankie yes, is, yes, is, is just going hell for leather with <laughs> another girl in her bed yep. and she just kind of looks up and looks at this, looks B in the eye yep. and it's a really powerful moment. Do you remember that moment for you in terms yeah. of that moment? It was where you exactly thought, that moment. Was it really that? <laughs> yes. Wow. This is how much, you know, I say about Wentworth yeah. being based. It was literally uh, that moment. And because as much as, you know, Frankie and and um, and B and whatnot, they're all, and Lizzie, they're all based on the prisoner people. Yeah. Because they've been re-imaged for the characters. They're also based on the real women in prison that, that were focal around me. Mm. Um and interestingly enough, they all slip into that because when when it first aired, the girls from prison were Facebooking me and saying, you know, wow, I know who that is. That's, that's <laughs> you know, I bet. And, and my biggest concern was that they, you know, that I, I didn't disrespect them, mm. um, and and they loved the first series, you know. So mm. that was exactly my, you know, I opened it and I th- and it was and you know I won't say who the woman was, mm. but you know, after that she was you know pretty keen, pretty interested, you know in. In, in me and uh, I was like, this is this is this is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> was it scary? Yes, it was because You're I didn't a nice want... suburban lady from yeah. Hillsville, and um... <laughs> I didn't want to. I really didn't want to upset this mm. this, this um, girl because for a moment there I thought she was a man. Anyway, wow, um... <laughs> yeah, okay. So, but but we actually became friends, you know. And I remember at one point, I, you know, my first day there, and I was like, you know, 
in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I've been married. Not much scares me anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I can get through a marriage, any woman can get through a marriage. Yeah. Prison's got to be easy. So, uh, but the, one of the first days there was a prisoner who'd been there and she was very well known to the system and very well connected. And, and she came up and she said to me, give us your smoke. So I went, oh, no, no, not really. No, I'm, I'm pretty keen to have one myself. Mm. And, and she, you know, long and short of it was that she was, you know, well, why don't we go outside? And I'm like, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite okay in here. She yeah. said, let's go outside. Said, you know, and I just looked at her and went, oh, I, and I just gave up. I thought I'm in the worst place ever. I'm at the, there's no lower you can go apart from death. Yep. And I was saying that I'm looking at this big woman and, and um, I said to her, look, you know, we can go outside. You can, you, you know, I'm not going to win. There is no doubt about this, but you're as sure as shit going to know you've been in a fight. <laughs> you know, it was my only, and that was, and it was all mouth. I didn't mean that at all, but I'd heard it in a movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it just came to me and she just looked at me and went, and everyone's watching then going, oh, what are we going to do? And she just looked at me and said, you're crazy and walked off. And I thought, ah, so I, I was onto that from the word go. Yeah. You know. You've got to have that bravado. And, you know, look, I am not a shrinking violet, mm. you know, so um, I was able to use that. The other thing is I have a bit of a sharp, sharp tongue when I need to have it. Um, and no woman likes to 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 look uh, or be made a fool of in the compound. So if I found myself in a difficult situation, I'd make sure it was right in the compound. Yeah. And I had the ability to make, them look, look, make a tough girl look stupid. And no one wanted that, so they'd sort of go... After a while, I started doing all of their, you know, their parole letters and things like that. So I became um, their, their trusted confidant, you know, and, mm. and, and very handy in that sense. Yeah, because you you weren't as marginalised as most women in there. You, yep. you know, you hadn't come from an easy life, but um, but certainly you're very well educated. You're yep. very smart. You're very well spoken. You have a confidence about you and you have real leadership skills. So how did you start to, to use those skills and sort of make a life for yourself, a positive life for yourself in prison? I think one of the first things that I have a real issue with was bullying. Mm. And to see, you know, in, a, in an environment where you don't have to worry about your, how you look, um, how you say something, um, particularly, you know, in, a, in the real world, you have to be very careful about how you approach this sort of stuff. In prison, it's literally, this isn't going to happen. You know, I, I I wouldn't have that sort of around me. So I would would tend to advocate on behalf of everybody that couldn't stand up for themselves, you know. Um, then it was a matter of uh, the art of negotiation. So I would negotiate between different groups as to whether someone was going to be safe on the compound or not. It was, um, uh, and it was also that when I first got there, there were there were hardly any women getting their parole, mm. which, you know, was was, was, was just crazy. And when I started listening to their stories and their language, it was like, yeah, probably not the best thing to say to a judge. Yeah, right. Um, so so I their said, presentation yep. and their and their of, hostility right. and their, their not being heard. So I said, basically said to them, sit down, you tell me everything, I'll put it into a legal letter and I'll put it forth to the parole board. Most of them hadn't got programs, hadn't done programs because the program wasn't available to them or they weren't allowed into the program, so therefore they didn't get their parole. You know, the more marginalised you are, the further you are on the yep. fringes of society, yep. the harder it is to get in the middle, eh? Absolutely. And so we started doing that and I'd say to them, go in there, approach the judges, don't open your mouth. Just give them the letter. Right. And it went from about three girls getting parole out of 40 to about 38 getting parole out of 40. Now, this the, the, the thing with that is that the girls earned their parole. They could get back out with their children. They might come back, who knows? But they were getting their parole. They were being heard. So they were starting to, then it wasn't a far stretch to start to convince them to start coming to education, you know. So um, they started learning. They started doing programs, which, as we all know, makes them feel a lot better. Most of them had grade three education, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, so it was about making sure that the women were really heard. And, um, and I had that ability, you know. So I, I was never going to be one to sit there and just sit in the unit and... Sit and smoke outside. Yeah. yeah. So you got an education. You furthered your education. I did my you, master of arts. In, you got a in master's prison, in there, yeah. and then you encouraged the other women to also pursue education as Absolutely. you were. Yep. Yep. Because um, see, in prison, you know, again, I go to great pains to say that in prison, these sort of things are privileges. You know, mm. um, if we want to do education, we have to be well behaved. We have to pay for it ourselves. We're not you know, um, robbing the system and we're not, you know, getting education that somebody on the outside could have got. You know, we've heard all of these stories. 
um, we had to earn it. And, and you know, trying to do a, a Master of Arts in prison <laughs> when you don't have a computer and you've got the dog squad ramping your unit every day can be a bit tricky. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, we really earned our, our degrees and it was one of the first full graduation ceremonies that came into the prison. Wow. Um, the rest of the prison was so proud, you know, that that we were able to do this because no one thought we'd be able to do it. Now, on the outset, it was a, a sort of a, a little bit of a study, you know. So um, we all went on and, and um, got our degrees and, you know, and it set a new culture in there for, for learning, particularly with the with the women. Some women just need to know what their rights are. Yeah. You know, um, some women have given up so much in their heart that they'll accept anything, you know. And my point of view is... Um, I see it from both sides. If you're in prison, that's a consequence. That's you just pucker up, you know. Yeah. Yep. But while you're in there, the time needs to be useful, you know, to work on these women. You got a captive audience. When I was there, there was no domestic violence programs. We lost women. They would leave straight after. They'd go straight back to the same abusive man, and they were eventually killed. Yet I'm thinking, you know, you've got a captive audience. They're not going anywhere, <laughs> and they've got that time away from Absolutely. their life to be able to look back on it. Yes, and to be make able to work changes. on them. And, and and you never know, you know, yeah. you know, you never know what you can what you can change within a, within a person. I've seen so many women change. Just get up one day and go, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to try and do this, and I'm going to try and do that. You know, I keep in touch with a lot of the women, you know, on the outside, and they're all doing really well. Some have, you know, issues. You've, you know, that's always going to be the case. You know, you've got to allow for recidivism. If the community is going to shun these women. And they're not going to let them become part of the community again. Then why would they bother um, abiding by the community's laws? Mm. Why would they, you know, if they're feeling so alienated, That's right. why should they? You know, you can't have two bites of the cherry. You know, yeah. I think you know you've got to accept that women get they go to prison. Your loss of freedom is huge. It is amazingly huge. You don't then get a double dip and go, well, we want you to do five years in there as well, but we want you to go and break rocks as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't say how that how your sentence can be run. You, you have your contribution to the sentence, but then in prison, your loss of freedom, and until you've had that loss, you don't realise just what it's about. And prison never leaves you. Well, An experience in prison never leaves you. I'm Michelle Laurie, and you are right in the middle of the Nitty Gritty Committee. Thank you for downloading. It's all brought to you by Car City Ringwood. Prison does change you, and it changed you enormously. When you entered prison, you were, you know, not only a very unhappy woman and and a confused woman and Mm -hmm. all of that, you also had an undiagnosed mental illness. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time you came out of prison, was it four and a half, five years later, you... Your mental illness was under control. You had a master's. You were on your way to a PhD. You were very well thought of within the system and you'd created programs in the system. How did you reconcile, though, with your kids, your family and the victims of your crime? Yeah. Uh, victims of the crime, I don't have anything to do with. Sure. Um, in my mind, again, and this is not being disrespectful, but in my mind, they you know, attended the uh, the trial, they got their victim impact statements heard. I got my sentence and I've done what I've had to do. I didn't appeal my sentence and I did the whole thing in maximum security so nobody could say, you know, oh, she was trying to get out of it. I didn't. I copped it full on. I could have got my sentence reduced. Maybe, maybe. Have, have you ever run into them? Have they ever tried no, to contact you? No, okay. no. Um, um, and, and as I say, that's, that's, that's my sentence done. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole host of reasons that, you know, I can't go into okay. that, uh, why we, why they wouldn't contact me. And, um, I had to, certainly don't need to, to contact them. As I said, I've, I've done my sentence. Um, when it comes to the children, I remember the, the, the last day that I had a visit with them in the visit center and, and they left and I'm like, mummy's coming home now, mummy's coming home. And in prison, it's, it's you're not involved in the outside, so you've got no idea what's going on out there and you can't even put your head out there. So I, I could see that they were apprehensive and I was like, well, you know, what, why? Why? You know, but I had no idea that they were, you know, they were very settled with their dad. They were having a good life, you know, they'd moved on as well. I'm just sitting there waiting, counting down the days yeah. until I get out with them. Mommy's coming back. I didn't see that they were going, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And that hurt me terribly and it took me – a little bit of time to work that out. Um, I remember um, sitting in the visit centre after they left thinking, oh, my God, that's it. 
this is this is happening and I didn't want to leave. Wow. I didn't want to leave. And then when I the, the first day I was out and I had some time with the girls, we went to a shopping centre and God, that must have been sensory yep. overload. It was it was because um I remember standing there the girls were, you know, having a bit of a play and all that sort of stuff and I was I had to pay for something and I remember standing there looking at the F POS machines and they changed that much. Yeah. And I had a card obviously. And I was looking over this person's shoulder, <laughs> looking at what they were doing. I'm sure they thought I was going to hold them up. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, that's all I need. I'm on parole. I'll be back there by tonight. But I was trying to see how it worked. Yeah. You know, I had, and then the girl started arguing. I had no idea what to do. I didn't know how to control the situation. It was upsetting me because it was like, I've just come home. Oh my God, why are you arguing sort of thing? They were being normal kids. Yep. I didn't know how to reprimand them because, you know, I didn't want to be, home after all that time and be into them, you know, yeah. it was, it was really, 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 really difficult. It's taken a long time. As I've always said, people, people, you know, that have never been involved with a traumatic life or, or prison or crime or anything like that often say, you know, a mother's, a mother's uh, love can, can never be broken sort of thing. And, and I get that, but the bond certainly can. The bond can be broken. It takes a long time. The girls were used to not seeing me and I was used to not seeing them. And they were certainly used to you not being an authority figure in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, um, you know, it took a long time of push and shove and give and take and and whatnot as they they grew up, you know. And I wasn't about to um, step into the relationship that they had with their dad. You know, he was there when I wasn't. He was a stable influence when I wasn't. He was a terrific father. And I'm very, very lucky and very fortunate for that. So I wasn't about to step in and go, okay, mum's back. Let's, yeah. let's, let's hop into family court. It's the only one I haven't covered. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You know, so, um, you know, they didn't need that. They just needed me to, 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 to work in around them. And that, you know, that, that, that were these... Girls were, you know, I used to hold their hand when they still crossed, you know, when they crossed the road when I left them. And these were young adults now. So, you know, it's hard talking to people and they're your own. I used to sit there and look at them and go, oh, my God, these are my, these are my daughters, but I don't, who are you talking about? You know, I, I had no idea who their friends were, you know, um, what they'd done on the different weekends. It was just so difficult. I grew up with them on the phone. So I'm very aware of their emotions. So um, I had six minutes with each of them twice a week on the phone. That's all. Wow. The family court awarded me 24 hours a year to see the children, you know. So it was it was just, just ridiculous. In six minutes, if you're lucky, you maybe get them to admit yeah. there's something wrong with them and then you they can't know, yeah, complete you can't. the conversation. No, it's just, it's just crazy. So, um, But I could hear in their voice, you know, it went from, you know, hey, mum, you know, these tiny little, hey, mum. And then it was on to, to you know, hi, mum, and whatever else. And then, yo, you know, <laughs> over the... Because <laughs> little <what>? kids... Yeah, with <laughs> over little... The years. I've got five-year-old twins, and with little kids, you're still so in tune with yes, them. You know, yep. you can read their little thoughts, and, yeah. y- you know, you're still so bonded. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that, losing that and not being yep. able to see even see a conversation through with them when I know they're troubled. Yes, that's the, that was the, my point. The, I, I had to try and show and try and work out how I could keep this connection. Mm. And, and it was listening. I'd, I'd literally press the phone into my ear. And you see that in Wentworth a lot. Yeah. Press it into me because I'm trying to listen. Is she, is she trying not to cry? Is she happy? Is she, is, was that a whimper? Was that, you know. So I got very in tune with listening to them and listening to them grow up, you know. It's very, very difficult, very, very difficult when you're away from your children from that long. And particularly in prison, you've got to steal yourself. You bring in new emotions that you never realised that you had. And that's what I refer to when I talk about how it becomes part of you. Oh, people talk about being in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and how intense the emotional <laughs> journey is because I'm, I'm isolated yep. and I can't see my family. Yep. I can't imagine what prison for no, five years It's And, and the other is thing like, is that I, it was like um, – not being able to go and pick up the phone, not being able to open a door, not being able to do this and the other. It's once you realise the degree of hopelessness, then you realise you can't change the unchangeable. I can't do this, so I've just got to get it in my head. I can't do this. and that. So in the end, you start to work out, okay, I can't do that, so don't worry about it. And you become quite ruthless with your own emotions. I remember with the girls, you know, each time they left, particularly the first time they left the the visit centre, 
you know, I started to cry and I thought, if I do this, I could feel that I would never come back from it. Yeah. That if I let go, I'm going to be this blubbering mess for the next five years, sitting in a corner, rocking to and fro, you know. Yeah. I just knew that I wouldn't be able to claw my way back if I didn't. So I just sort of was like, right, okay. And you steal your emotions. That's what you have to do. And you put it, you compartmentalise and you put it out of your mind. You don't think about it again until you need to address it for the phone situation or visits again or whatnot. So it's it's um, really difficult and you, you, you really need to live off those emotions. You can't, you, it's no place for the weak. No. No place no. for the weak at all. So you've been out of prison, would it be four or five years now? Six. Six years. What's your life like now? What does it look like? It's uh, it's really busy. <laughs> I do a lot of you know public speaking and um, just open doors whenever you feel like it. Get on the phone whenever you feel like it. <laughs> I do what I like. Yeah, God, what an amazing yeah, feeling! It is. It is. It's, it's, do you um, still have moments where you think I can do whatever I like? Absolutely. And sometimes you know, it's it's when I talk. Sometimes I deal with things quite harshly on the outside as well because I still tap into those emotions. Yeah, I bet. they're so ingrained that they were they kept you alive. That it's pretty hard to, to just you know, yeah. let them go, um, but the ability of just being able to to do what you want when you want, um, is is huge. The simple things in life are what you appreciate. Mm. You know, nothing else matters. It it really doesn't. Once you've been deprived of absolutely everything, it um, nothing else matters. To, to be able to sit, you know, and look at a mobile phone, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I, I remember when I went in. There wasn't phone, there weren't wasn't any picture messaging, you know. <laughs> yeah, technology moves fast. And I went out. I know. It, it, amazingly, that yeah. was the biggest thing that I noticed. And and I was sitting um, at a restaurant outside having a glass of wine when I got out, thinking this is great. <laughs> and my ex husband sent me a text, and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I, I couldn't understand it. And I just looked at everyone and went, oh, clearly he's drunk. <laughs> and it was the new text type. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't read. He's giving it. you had... moles and yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't read. I was drunk, <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know. And I'm standing there, sort of going, yeah. See what I have to put up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I do. Um, you know, I'm not involved with Wentworth anymore. Okay, so, the show, right? Um, but you still do a lot of corporate speaking and absolutely, and yeah. all of that stuff. And yep. you're a university lecturer. Yes, yeah, in media. In media, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's good to have uh, experience on both sides. You know, it's incredible one experience. Of the, as, as a practitioner, one of the things was, you know, I remember when I was arrested, you know, and the paper actually had Tucker behind bars, and I read it, and I was like. Oh. And I was thinking the community must be sitting there going, oh, thank God. But who is she? <laughs> Absolutely. It was like it was the only time I saw, the other time I saw that was Mockbill behind bars. Yeah. And I thought, so, you know, it was this huge, huge thing. And and it was, um, and it occupied all of the newspapers and it had, you know, mum of two, you know, it wasn't like, you know, the reporting was quite different to how you would report a male, you know. Yeah, so it's like a double conviction because you're, you, you know, why weren't you at home with your children, you know, you, you because you're a woman, you do get it. Um, and unfortunately, I had a woman judge as well. So, uh, and things... she was not sympathetic? Oh, gosh, no. Oh. No, 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 no. That was, you know, I, I knew from the outset I was dead in the water. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I think because she may well have mentioned it on the first day. <laughs> you're dead in the water? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, interestingly enough. But, um, you know, I, I know a lot of judges. I do a lot of speaking, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, for you know, and I do a lot of work for uh, work for success. I'm their Australian ambassador, and um, the patron for Vacro, which um, Justice Harper is also um, patron for them. Two amazing, amazing services in the community that look after you know, uh, particularly women, but offenders that are trying to re reintegrate into the community. It's a community service because it assists the community. Yeah. In assisting these people, yes, it assists the community. It's a win-win. And it's a really big thing for busy, busy people to get out of their way and actually look after people that no one else want to know. Well, on that, um, there'll be people listening to this conversation who think, I want to do something mm. to help. <clears throat> how can how can other people help? I think uh, we're for success. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Um, they're always looking for... For volunteers, they do such a magnificent job. You know, mm -hmm. they 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 really really do. Um, Is that donating so, clothes or time? Yeah, or and money? time and services. You Great. know, um, anything at all. 
you know, they do a lot of programs. It's it's a fabulous organisation and, and, you know, we like to hook in with women coming out of prison so they have that and they have these people to sit and talk to as well. That's half the thing. Loneliness is a, is is very, very destructive and women particularly, you know, I can't speak for men, but women particularly suffer this when they get out, mm. whether it's because of themselves or whether it's because of the community isolating them or having no money to be able to be involved in the community. Either one is very, very destructive. A lot of women like to go back to prison for that reason. You know, I was out three days and wanted to go back. I was out three days and, it, you know, at 3.30, oh, they're doing mustard now. I know exactly where the girls, you know, yeah. it's, I, I wanted to go back. It's, you know, getting out of prison is much harder than going to prison, I can assure you. You know, it's really, really difficult because most people have um, that stigma, you know. They're judged very, very, very quickly. Um, I wasn't in that sense. I was very, very, you know, fortunate. Um, not many people get out of prison and step straight into a university. You were a great prison success job. story as well. <laughs> so they were very proud of you and Yeah, and right? it's very important then to be able to raise the issues where it's a win win situation. Mm. You know, um VACRO are, are, are just again, a fabulous, fabulous organization and both are full of people that really want to make a difference, that really want to help. You know, these, these people, you know, marginalised people, whether it be refugees, whether it be homeless, you know, VACRO deals with offenders, but, but um, Where for Success deals with everyone. So, um, you know, and women offenders and men offenders. So, mm. you know, both of those organisations, absolutely, I couldn't speak more highly of them. Very, very proud to be their, their ambassador. <laughs> Great. Thank you. We'll leave it there. God, you are the dream guest. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah, because shut up. No, <laughs> You'll find more info about all of our guests at michellelaurie.com as well as a place to leave questions and feedback. There's also a link there to the website of Tenzin Choyil. He is the man behind the beautiful Tibetan music you've heard throughout the podcast. Thank you to Tim Mountford and Peter Laurie for editing help, but please know that the clunkiest edits are all mine. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Please subscribe to get them all on iTunes and go ahead and leave us a nice review if you feel so inclined. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.